welcome to Flippin' Out. I'm your host, Leah Fontaine, and in today's podcast, I'm going to be speaking with someone who I'm incredibly excited to speak with. Her name is Coach Anna Kojak, and she actually runs a mental training group for gymnast. And she actually runs a mental training group for gymnasts. So she so she is one of the only people who does this specifically for gymnasts. And I think it's amazing. I personally have been in her program before and it's really great. She's so supportive and so kind. And she has lots of tips on mental blocks, overcoming obstacles, confidence, and more. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking to her all about different aspects of mental training and gymnastics. So I'm super excited to be speaking to her. And I know you guys will love this podcast. So stay tuned. Hi, Coach Anna. Thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yes. Well, hi, Leah. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Like Leah said, I am Coach Anna Kojak. Um, Coach Anna is how gymnasts in my mental performance training groups refer to me. So I'll tell you a little bit about my journey as an athlete, um, and then we can go from there. So I'll try to keep it short. (laughs) I started out um, as a little girl who was a dancer. My mom put me into dance, and I did ballet and tap and jazz and acro, acrobatics. And I absolutely loved acro. Um, I got really good at it. I could do front walkovers and back walkovers and then round up back handsprings and aerials and all of that stuff. Um, but I was still a dancer and I remember vividly at the 1988 Olympics, that's how old I am. I was about eight or nine and I saw Brandy Johnson, who was an American gymnast do her vault. And I remember, you know, I never really watched gymnastics before. I didn't know much about it. And I remember watching her and my jaw just dropped because it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And, you know, she had all this power. She was running at the the horse. It was a horse back then. And she did this beautiful flip and landed and then had this salute. And I was like, that is gorgeous. It's like a, a dance. Right. And so I, you know, I said to my mom, like, Hey, can I try that? Like, that looks so, so awesome. And so she enrolled me in a rec class, you know, a couple months later And I just loved it. Gymnastics was like, I had my heart. I was a little bit older. I was probably nine, almost 10 now. So I was, um, you know, definitely an older gymnast, but I progressed pretty quickly because I already had all that acro training. And so, you know, I joined team. And then when I was about 13 and a half or so, I, I was getting ready to compete my level eight season. And I was the gymnast who had all the chronic injuries. Like my back was always hurting. My wrists were hurting. I had plantar fasciitis and I couldn't walk on my you know, feet for weeks at a time. Like I always had these like little nagging injuries. And one of them was that my wrist that was really hurting. And so my mom took me to the hospital for special surgery in Manhattan. Cause we're from New York. And I remember the doctor saying to my mom, if she continues to put pressure on her wrist, she'll never be able to use her wrist again. And I was like, yeah, yeah. you like in my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah, doc, whatever. I got to get to practice. Like, okay, hurry up, you know? And I got in the car um, with my mom and I was like, mom, you know, what are we going to tell coach tomorrow? Like, like, what do I have to do? Like, what am I going to do now? Like, what should I tell him that I'm going to do? And she was like, no, Anna, she's like, you don't understand. Like you're done. And I was like, what do you mean, mom? Well, needless to say, I was mad at my mom for like years and years and years of my life because that ended my gymnastics career. I was so upset. That was my life. I loved it. 
Um, and I was lost for a really long time. And now I found myself like in the beginning of high school, like not knowing what to do. I spent so many hours in the gym. It really was my life. And so I was like, well, let me find another sport now that I'm here, you know? And so I, I joined track, um, which I really liked because I got to pole vault, which was like the closest thing to gymnastics that I could do at that moment. And then I got into cheerleading. And so I did those sports and I ended up doing them both through college. And um, so I had a, you know, a decent ending to my athletic career. Um, but gymnastics was really, you know, my, my thing that I loved. When I was about 16, I remember reading an article in um, Sports Illustrated for Kids, and they mentioned a sports psychologist. And I was like, what is that? I love psychology because I love the brain and the mind, and I knew how important it was. And then I was like, if I can combine that with sports, like this is my life, like this is amazing. And so I knew from 16 on, I was like, I'm going to be a sports psychologist. That's what I'm going to do. And so I went to college for psychology. I went right into my master's program for you know, sport and exercise psychology, never looked back like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and that was almost 20 years ago. And so, um, you know, I worked with athletes on and off. I ended up actually going to medical school along the way too. I kind of changed career path a little bit, um, but then ended up leaving when I had all my kids. Um, but for the past four years, I have exclusively been working with just gymnasts. Um, I found that I just love gymnastics so much. And while I can help athletes of all different sports, I just tend to like gymnasts and gymnastics. So that's where I am. And that's sort of my sweet spot. And so that's what I have been doing. And that's how I got here. Yeah, I love that. And I love that passion that you had, um, especially not only for gymnastics, but then later for um, sports psychology. I think it's so inspiring. And like you knew what you wanted to do. Um, so my next question is, what exactly is like mental training, sports psychology? Like, could you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So when I think of mental training, I think of learning different exercises that help you retrain your brain to think a different way, because what tends to happen is we have, I think it's more than 60,000 thoughts a day as humans, and most of them are negative. And we don't realize that, but our brains are hardwired to look for danger and to find all the negative things. So your brain can figure out, okay, how can I fix this? Or how can I get past this and keep you safe? Um, and so if you don't train your brain, if you don't change the thoughts that you have, those thoughts are going to stay negative. And as an athlete, when you've got those negative thoughts, whether it is doubting yourself or being afraid of something, it's only going to hurt you. It's, you know, it's not going to help you. And so that's really what mental training is, is just learning how to retrain your brain. Yeah. So why would you recommend, um, or would you recommend, would you recommend all athletes to do some sort of mental training? And if so, why? Yes, absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so it's true when they say sports is 90% mental and 10%, you know, physical, right. And when you look at elite athletes, whether it's gym gymnastics or any other sport, there's not much that differentiates or distinguishes athletes from one another. Like they're all at the top of their sport, right? They're all really good. You know, one of them can have a good day. One can have a bad day. Like they're all, you know, head in head, basically head to head. Um, but what differentiates them is mental training. So the athletes who spend the time doing the mental work, those are the athletes who win the gold medals. Those are the ones who really succeed in their sport. And you can ask any, you know, successful athletes, and if you ask them, like they've all done mental training in their, their, their past or in, at some point during their journey. And so I would recommend it for every single athlete for sure. hundred percent. Yeah, that's great. I totally agree. Like sports is so much, um, 
there's so much of that mental aspect that is, I feel like often overlooked too, because a lot of times people just want to focus on like, yeah, you have to get stronger, faster, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, if your head is not like in the right place, then it's, you can't perform when it's like time. So I completely agree with that. And when you think about it too, as an athlete, you know, you think about how many hours you spend, let's say in the gym, right. Training your physical body. And it's like, how many hours do you spend training your mental, right? Your, your brain, like usually, usually it's none, but sometimes it's like an hour or two, right? It's nowhere near. And so those two need to be much closer than they are. Exactly. Yeah. So my next question is, um, so could you talk a little bit about mental blocks and getting through them? Because I know a lot of my listeners now, they want to know about mental blocks because they're definitely struggling with them. For sure. And this is a topic we could probably talk hours on (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Um, because there are so many different nuances about mental blocks, but just in a nutshell, I think where gymnasts tend to get really stuck in, in the thought of a mental block is that they think that it's about their skill and not being able to do their skill. And it's not that sure. Maybe in that moment, they're not doing their skill, but they can do it right. You know, They've all done, usually it's a a mental block is on a skill that a gymnast has done before. And so she can do it. Her body physically can do it, but something is stopping her. And it's that something that's stopping her that most gymnasts overlook. They don't think to, you know, inquire about and figure out what is that? That's, that's what I call like the core root of the problem or root of the, the mental block. And so oftentimes what that root is, is a feeling of, you know, expectation or pressure, or, you know, I have to, I'm supposed to be, you know, at this level and I'm only at this level, or, you know, I know I want to be a college gymnast and I'm not on track, or, you know, I don't want to let my coach down or anything, anything that, you know, is a pressure or an expectation that a gymnast is feeling. And what that does is her brain perceives that as danger. And we, like I said, we all have this this danger mechanism, which is the fight, flight, or freeze response. And when your brain starts to feel that, that pressure, which equates to danger to your brain, it will literally freeze up your skills and stop them. And so it's really important to find the root cause of what's, what your thought patterns are. And that's how you can get past your mental block. But when you look at it as only, what do I need to do to get my skill back? You're not, you're not um, treating the root cause. You're just treating the symptom and your mental blocks will come back. And that's what tends to happen. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like treating what caused the mental block in the beginning rather than just trying to push through it, which I feel like in the long run, it's not really going to work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So my next question is how can gymnasts and really athletes in general become better competitors and compete even while feeling all those nerves and stuff? Yeah. So nerves are a big one, especially in gymnastics, right? Where, you know, you might be on a four inch beam, (laughs) you're shaking because you're nervous. Um, so that is, you know, it's, it's a big subject, but one of the biggest things that you can do if you are a nervous athlete is just focus on your breathing. And it sounds so simple. And most gymnasts and athletes, they don't want to hear it. Cause they're like, Oh, whatever. I know how to breathe coach Anna, leave me alone. But actually when I talk about that danger response, that's what's happening when you have nerves, your, your brain is perceiving that those expectations that you have as some sort of danger. And you're going into that fight or flight response, which is, you know, your heart rate increases, you get sweaty palms, like you, you know, you can't breathe so much that those are all those nerves. So if you can learn to, in that moment, take deep breaths and just tell yourself everything is okay, that can actually shut down that response and make it um, much better for you. The other thing I want to say is that 
your body response, that fight or flight response is the same, whether you're nervous or whether you're excited. And so what I'll tell a lot of my gymnasts is when you start to feel those butterflies in your stomach, or you're getting really anxious about competing or doing a skill, tell yourself I'm excited. Because if you tell like, if you teach your brain, all right, I have this feeling and this is what it means. Then in the future, when you compete and you feel that, and you keep saying, I'm excited, I'm excited. All of a sudden your brain goes, oh, I guess we're excited. This is fun. And it starts to change the way it thinks about competing and, and nerves. So hopefully that helps. No. Yeah, that's great. And I can, I feel like I can relate to that too, because the times that I've done my best at meets were the times that I was more relaxed and like but also felt more like excited to compete. And also when there, I remember one meet, it wasn't like there was that much of an expectation um, on me or anything like that. I didn't feel that much pressure. I was just like, I'm just going to go out there and do my best. And it was like my best meet. Um, so I was like, yeah, I, I really can see how it's like that fight or flight expectation type pressure. Yes. Um, my next question um, is about confidence because confidence is obviously a big topic, which is also really important, but um, how can gymnasts and again, athletes in general um, become more confident? Yes. Yeah, so one thing that I know I did misunderstood as a gymnast or an athlete is that I thought, you know, the more I just did my sport, the more confident I would get. Like, I thought it was just something that would happen as a result of doing my sport and maybe just getting a little better. I would just get more confident, but confidence is actually a skill that you have to learn and you have to practice. And so there's two big parts to confidence. One is proactive confidence. So that's sort of hyping yourself up ahead of time, you know, before you've maybe made the skill or competed well, you think about like, what are my strengths? What are, you know, some really important moments in the past that I've had that were really successful moments? Um, what are some compliments that maybe my teammates have given me about, you know, me and what my abilities are, or what has my coach said that's really good about what I can do? And remembering those and sort of forming a confidence resume, which is like a list of all the things that you can do well, your strengths, your achievements, and just, you know, focusing on that and reading that every single night and, and just remembering, okay, I, I am confident. These are the things I've done. Look at me. And then the second part to that is not doing the things that lower your confidence. And I think that's what a lot of gymnasts do, right? They, they compare themselves to other gymnasts. They focus on their failures. They might, um, you know, look at the end results and not focus on the journey. Like, and so they get upset if they don't get their skill and, and don't think about the process. Um, you know, anything like that, where you're, you're lowering your confidence, if you can cut those things out, then your confidence doesn't take those dips that it might normally take. And so building yourself up and then stopping yourself from doing those other things can really help to increase your confidence over time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. And those seem like really practical, like tips and habits that people can implement into their daily um, lives, hopefully. Um, and my next question is a little bit more about like fear and stuff like that, because again, it's a big topic already, but um, how in general can gymnasts work towards conquering fear, whether it be towards like maybe a skill or just kind of in general of like, I don't know, maybe an event, a competition, even a coach or something, something like that. Yeah. So fear is really tricky, right? And, and we all have fear at different points in our, our journeys. Um, so one of the biggest things you can do is 
um, well, those deep breaths again, like we did with nerves, always remember, like always go back to your breath whenever, like, let's say you are trying to do a skill and you're, you're afraid in that moment, your deep breaths are going to come in really handy. Imagery is also a really important skill for when you have fear. And that's something you probably would do at home, not necessarily in that moment, but you would practice maybe before you go to bed, imagining yourself doing the skill that you're afraid to do. And just practicing that over and over, making it as real as you can, doing it in real time. Um, and then just having that because your brain actually doesn't know the difference between when you're doing a skill physically or when you're reenacting it in your mind. It actually, it, it fires the same neurons. So it, I think that's amazing. Like that's a huge skill to use. So whenever you're afraid, it's, it's good to do imagery. The other thing is you have to be okay with, you know, taking it at your own pace because your brain needs to feel safe. And so if you're trying to do something and your brain, you know, is feeling danger and, and those alarms are going off, it's going to stop you. Like it's not going to make it a good experience for you. And so you have to be okay with saying, Hey, can I have a spot? Hey, can I add mats? Hey, can I maybe back it up and do, you know, a lower progression of the skill and have, you know, the, the confidence to say, Hey coach, this isn't working. Like, what can I do? When you can listen to your brain and give your brain what it needs in that moment, your brain starts to trust you. And then that fear starts to go away because your brain goes, oh, I know she's going to do what's best for me. She's not going to put us in a really crazy situation like without thinking about this, right? And so that's that trust that your your brain needs to, to have in order to kind of get past that fear. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. I like that idea and that way of thinking of kind of learning how to trust yourself in that type of way or your brain learning how to trust yourself. Um, I really like that. Um, and my final question is how can gymnasts navigate through like tough and just not always very positive uh, practices? Yeah. So we all have those hard practices and even, you know, you talk to elite gymnasts and athletes, they have a lot of them, right? Those hard practices are part of the journey. And just remembering that this is a journey you're on, because I think sometimes we get so hung up on our final result, like where we're trying to go or get to or be, that we forget that every day is part of the journey. And so you are going to have those ups and downs and that's okay. So when you have a bad day, be thankful because as hard as it is, you know, to see it as a blessing, if you didn't have those hard days, you wouldn't appreciate the, the good days, the really high days. You wouldn't know that they're high days, right? If you didn't have the low days, it's like, you can't have light without the darkness. And so it's important that you, you know, remember that it is part of the journey. Um, and that, that you just, yeah, you just take it one day at a time. Another tip that I do have that I've been using a lot recently with my gymnasts is coming up with a motivation board. So we've heard of vision boards where you kind of put your goals and dreams on it, but a motivation board is very similar, but something that makes you remember your why, like why you're doing your sport, because you are going to have those hard days. But if you can remember, like, this is the reason, this is what drives me. This is why I do this you're a lot more likely to get through that hard practice and just be like, all right, I'll forget about it. It's in the past. So if you have this motivation board, it could be a board that has, you know, pictures and, and words and things that just describe your why. So, you know, I want to feel happy. I like to feel accomplished. You know, this is my end result. Like what are things that motivate me and, and make me feel good? And if you have that board and can look at that every day, even on the good days, that can help again to retrain your brain to see it as all part of the process. Yeah, I like thinking about how even the tough days, it's all a part of the journey, even the tough weeks, months, um, they are all part of 
everyone individual journey. So there, everyone has a different path, but I feel like sometimes the hard days prepare you to have an even better day. So I like to think of it that way. So that is great advice. Um, So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. We really appreciated all your advice and I know it's going to help so many people. So thank you. You are so welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you again, Coach Anna. You have been so amazing throughout this whole podcast. And thank you so much for supporting me because this has meant so much to me. And I am so happy that I was able to give my listeners some information about mental training, mental blocks, confidence, stuff like that. So yeah, I just say thank you so much. And thank you to all my listeners. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something or just were entertained or anything like that. So thank you again for supporting my podcast. And I love you all. Bye.